Well, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there, and uh, thank you ladies for putting up with us. I just really wanted to share what God had been laying on my heart as far as what that looks like for you guys here. And, uh, you know, for the last four years, we've been at, if you don't know who I am, I'm Greg Parkman. I'm our pastor down at our Riverside campus about 20 minutes down the road. So for the last four years, we've been down there doing ministry as an extension of our ministry here at Xenia. And it's been a real blessing. I've learned a lot and have got a chance to see God work in maybe a different way than how he worked here at this campus while I was here. But something I've been thinking about over the last several weeks and kind of been stirring in my heart is the most important ministry within the church. And we have a lot of different ministries, amen, so we're blessed to be able to give people options of, you know, to try to serve in the areas of gifts and talents and all that incredible good stuff. But the most important ministry within the life of the church is the ministry of people, is the ministry of people. I want to tell you that ministry of people uh, is a messy ministry, amen. Uh, because when you're dealing with people's lives and you think about people, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, we're just messy people. We got a lot of things that we need to work out and God is still dealing with us and God is still helping us become a greater reflection of who he is. But when you think about ministry, think about ministry of people. I had a pastor that was here at the first service. And he told me early on in my ministry, he says, Greg, he says, if you stay passionate about these two things, he says, it doesn't matter what you do, you will make a difference. He says, if you stay passionate about God and you stay passionate about people, he says, it doesn't matter what you do. He says, you will make a difference for the kingdom of God. And I kind of, that kind of flows my philosophy of ministry and the ministries that I do, that I want people to always know that they are the most important things. It's not about the department ministries. It's just not about the things that we do. But people are important to me and people are important to the church because people are important to God. And therefore, as we shape our ministries and all that, we want to make sure that we're honoring God in all that we do. So therefore, guess what? The most important ministries here at this church is what? You guys flunked the test. I just said it. People. Amen. And as we think about that, that ministry, we think about what that looks like. Sometimes that ministry is draining. Sometimes that ministry is messy. And sometimes we don't really want to go there with people because we know what it's, going, what it's going to look like once we get into the life of people. And I'm an evangelist at heart. I know everybody doesn't have the same kind of outlook, but I'm an evangelist at heart. It's very easy for me to kind of share uh, the gospel with people, especially on kind of a one-on-one basis and go and see things from kind of an out, outward view type of thing. And within the church, we call that outreach. But I really like to think of it as more as in-reach because we're reaching into the lives of people and we're really getting involved in their life. And sometimes that's messy. And sometimes it's messy. And sometimes it's easy to look the other way. Of Hey, everybody's got those special people in their family. Amen. And if you're not amen, maybe you're that special person today, okay? Um, but we all have those special people in our life. And it's really hard for me to stay on the platform. I feel like I'm kind of like a dog on a chain today because I like to walk. So bear with me. I may flip off this thing. So, um, but when we deal with messy, messy people, sometimes it inconveniences our life and what we want to do. And sometimes it makes us mad and sometimes it aggravates us. But if we're really going to be what God wants us to be in pursuing a lost and dying world. And that's the whole reason why Jesus landed here on earth, was to seek and save what was lost. To seek and save what was lost. 
And I know we've been hearing this concept of no perfect people allowed, and I really had to ask myself of really why we even had to have a sermon series to convince us and remind us that, hey, none of us are perfect. Amen. We're all a mess, but we just, some of us have not really claimed that identity that my life is messy and I don't have it all together. So if you're here today and you sense that you're not perfect, guess what? You're in the right place because God wants you here. And God wants you to know that you're welcomed, and hopefully the church is embracing that. If you've been here for a while, and you know maybe sometimes this is just like a second home for you where you're very comfortable, guess what? God wants you not to be comfortable. God wants to continue to stir your heart and stir your life and help you to see him in a greater reflection and move you along in this journey of being a greater reflection of who he is. So today I want to share a little bit about what that looks like and kind of what God has laid on my heart. And I want us to look at a passage of scripture found in... Um, John chapter 6. We're going to look at a couple of different verses, but we're going to start at verse um, 41. And as I think about uh, the ministry of people, and I know if, jo- if God had a job description, his most important task would be to help people know him. Help people know who he is. And I think within the church, and sometimes I wonder if I'm ministering in vain, and you know, am I trying to produce something that I can't produce? But God really is doing a lot of the work when it comes to winning the lost and dying world, when it comes to the, you know, the things that we do within the church when we're outreaching or inreaching, however you want to say it. God is really doing a work that sometimes we don't see or sometimes we don't understand. And I want us to look at this passage, and I really want us to kind of talk about that and walk through that today a little bit. But in this passage, and I want to kind of put it in context of where it really lands, Jesus is talking, and the religious leaders heard something that Jesus said, and they didn't agree with it. Friends, I want to tell you, people have been disagreeing for a long time and griping and complaining for a long time. Amen? Uh, So they're looking at this, and Jesus claimed that he was... Uh, God's son and the religious leaders are kind of saying, "Mm, I don't really buy it. You're just a carpenter. kind of went in there. And what he says in verse 43, he says, stop complaining. Stop grumbling among yourselves. I want to say that sometimes to folks. Don't you? That's just so refreshing. Just quit complaining, quit griping, and kind of get it off your chest. And you actually feel better once you get to do that. Amen? So quit complaining, quit griping. And Jesus answered, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I read that today and I thought about all the things that we try to produce within the church. And it helped me kind of take a few step backs and realize that, hey, God's got to go before me and he's got to almost prime the pump. He's got to go before me and do a work and he's the one that's drawing men and women closer to him. See, it's God's will that all would come to know the truth and all would come to know who he was and who he is. That's his purpose for landing here on earth is to come and seek and save what was lost. And guess what? Everybody in this room one day, maybe you're here today and you don't really know who Jesus Christ is and you're still kind of doing your investigation and you're still trying to research and see if this is really what God wants to do in your life. But I got good news for you. God is drawing you closer to himself. You know, as we look at that, sometimes we don't understand that whole process. But guess what? God desires an intimate, crazy relationship with you. 
with everybody. It's just not, hey, he wants to have a relationship with the people that have their life cleaned up, that look a different way, that talk a different way, that do a different thing to make a paycheck. But guess what? God desires to have a relationship with you, and he pursues you, and he draws you close to himself. See, for me as a pastor and me as somebody who loves outreach and loves ministry, that takes a lot of pressure off of me. Because guess what? God is doing 99% of the work when it comes to drawing people and helping people know who he is. And God just expects me to do the 1%. So you talk about a low expectation, amen? God knows that, hey, the expectation's got to be really low for those guys and gals out there. I got to do the work, and God's got to really get a hold of the heart and begin to awaken us to see him for who he is. And I want to talk about just a couple minutes on some of the ways that God does that and as we think about what that looks like for him and God has always been on a pursuit to draw us closer to him and God has always been the one that has initiated the relationship see sometimes and see I love dealing with folks that don't really understand the church culture and people that are unchurched because guess what they have just such a freedom (laughs) Amen. They have such a freedom. And maybe you really can't relate today to that, but you know, being at Riverside, I have seen church in a whole new perspective. Because we're reaching a very needy and a very messy community. And sometimes when you go in and you're reaching into those types of lives, man, you see all kinds of things within the church. And there's no church culture to really to compete with at that time. And so you have people come in, and everybody's got cell phones, amen? And hopefully you have those cell phones off. If not, I'll tell you to turn them off. But we have people that will come into our Riverside church and not know the culture, not know the, un, you know, the hidden rules, and their cell phone would ring. And you would think, hey, it's ringing, and I'm going to turn it off. But people actually answer it and start talking. <laughs> and it's not, hey, I'm in church right now. Can I call you back? It's actually a long conversation. And we have people, and if you've ever been to our Riverside campus, it's kind of small, it's confined, and there's not a whole lot of room. And we have people that want to get up all the time. I'm trying to grab those guys' attention back there. And they get up and whatever, and I know, man, we just had breakfast, and you had 16 cups of coffee and all that and whatever. And they'll get up, and they'll talk and whatever. And we have a little foyer, not a big foyer like you guys have. It's an incredible foyer out there. you got coffee and donuts. We have about this much space from the end of our sanctuary to the front doors. And people will go out those front doors and they want to talk. And they're thinking, hey, I'm behind this door. They can't hear me. We can hear you. (laughs) And every once in a while I'm preaching and I'll hear this. And I'm thinking to myself, please let that be a pop. Please let that be a pop. It's not that time yet. Church is not over. But see, as we think about dealing with a culture and we think about our approach and as we think about how Jesus is drawing men and women closer to himself, I want to talk about three things today on how that process works. And right from the beginning, I know I got a little bit more time this service. Last service, I felt like I was really rushed. Um, right from the beginning, even in Genesis chapter 3, and Adam and Eve blew it, man. And they mess it up. And we can say, well, Adam and Eve blew it for us. It was just a matter of time for somebody else blew it for us. 
Amen. Because that's just where it was going to land and it's whatever. But as soon as the fallout came and we were aware of sin and we were aware of some things that we never experienced. And God didn't say, hey, I want them to come back to me. And they didn't have enough sense to come back to God. They knew who God was. They had a very intimate and close relationship with him. But God went and pursued them in the garden. Because he knew the relationship was broke and he wanted to restore the relationship. So he went and he pursued. When Jesus Christ came down to this earth, he pursued us through Jesus. And he's been on a crazy manhunt for us ever since. But some of the ways that he does that as he draws us closer to himself, one of the ways, and, and I think all of us can relate to this today, that God uses the Holy Spirit in our life to begin to draw us, to begin to help us be aware of maybe areas and things in our life that we weren't aware of before. Begins to convict us, begins to kind of mess with our stuff and maybe a new life. The Holy Spirit because God is pursuing us and God is sending, you know, or actually last week we celebrated Pentecost Sunday, the outflowing in the, of the Holy Spirit within the church. So the Holy Spirit, that small, still voice that taps on your shoulders and speaks to you in such a gentle way. And as you think about your story, and maybe you're still being drawn to God, but maybe you're far away from God today, but maybe you're really close. But think about the times when the Holy Spirit was messing with your stuff. Man, he began to help you see things from a different perspective. And there was an awareness, and there was an emptiness in your life, and there was a, just a, not a very peaceful time. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing you closer to the sun. He's going and doing a work that we can't do. He's kind of priming the pump and he's kind of going and making a way where we can't make a way. Do you remember those days? When you were sitting there and there was just an uneasiness and a pool and awareness of, hey, man, I am of need of something. And maybe you didn't even know what that something was, but that something is Jesus. And there was an awareness and there was a awakening that wasn't there before. And God was stirring that through the Holy Spirit. And you were sitting there thinking about things that you never really thought about, and you were hearing things that you never really thought you heard the way that they were meant to be heard. And you were aware of your state of, hey, I'm lost. And there's a hole in my life, and I'm messy. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in that process. Second thing that God uses in our life to draw us closer to him, he uses our individual lives. See, when we go out these doors today, we have an incredible, incredible responsibility if you're a believer here today. Your responsibility as a believer is to let a lost and dying world know that Jesus is still alive. And, you know, sometimes you get a platform and you get an opportunity to say that in word, but the most important way to do that is let people see God-likeness in your life. To see that, hey, there's something different about so-and-so. Not weird. We got enough weird Christians in the world. Amen? We don't need to be weird. We don't need to add to that. But we need to be different. And as I model what it means to be a Christian, and I'm around the lost and dying world, and I'm, whether it's at my home, or it's at my workplace, or it's at the sports place, wherever I'm at, I am modeling Jesus. I'm letting people see that this Jesus thing is real, man, and I'm living it, and they're seeing things in my life that they're not seeing in non-Christians. 
And they're seeing the peace, they're seeing the contentment, they're seeing the power, they're seeing the confidence that I have in the word and in God. And my faith is strong and my hope is right and everything. They're seeing that through my life. And I'm beginning to help God draw people closer to himself by my individual walk. And the responsibility is pretty heavy, right, right, church? And I know we don't do that in a perfect state every time, and sometimes we mess it up, but our responsibility is to paint a picture of who Jesus Christ is to a lost and dying world. And you know, those, those times when we mess it up and we trip and we fall and we make a mess of everything, and that's a great opportunity to go back to those people that are watching our life. And I want to tell you today, church, people are watching your life. <laughs> And they're seeing you and they're, hey, if you're claiming, hey, Jesus is the most important thing and you're always talking Jesus, but your life does not reflect that you know him. They see that. And you're not sparking any hunger and thirst in their life because they don't want what you got. Why? They already got it. They already got all that mess. They already got that unsettledness and that whatever in their life. So God uses the Holy Spirit to draw people to himself. He uses the individual Christian out in the marketplace and out in the world to draw him closer. And one of the most important and obvious ways that God draws people to himself is in the life of the church. I see for you, you may not have the evangelist heart. It may not be easy for you to outreach and to, to help people know him, but this is a very safe and comfortable place to invite people that may be lost. And the first thing we say, if we can just get them to church, and I want to tell you, coming to church and you sitting in these pews doesn't make you any more of a Christian than you sitting at McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Amen? There's a work that's got to take place. There's a decision that needs to be made. And there's a life change that needs to be walked and to be held. But God uses a church and he uses us together. And we go and we really try to process that and invite people to come in and really see what that is. And I want to throw this out. This is the thought that I've been dealing with. And this is the, the uneasiness that I've dealt with for a while back. And I'm not saying this is truth. This is not, thus saith the Lord, this is just a thought, and I want to throw it out to you today. Now, within the church, have we created a culture to where it's hard for people to come to know Jesus? I'm going to tell this side. Church, have we created a culture within the church to where we make it hard for people to know Jesus. Because I want to tell you, the church has a culture, just like the world has a culture. And sometimes there's written rules and unwritten rules, and there's do's and don'ts that everybody's not aware of, but there are the do's and don'ts. And there's a culture, and there's an expectation of when we come in this place. And sometimes it's, hey, you got to look a certain way before you belong. Don't sit. This is the inside crowd right here. You don't sit in my seat. Don't eat all my donuts. Those are my donuts. I like the powder ones. And we sing our songs and we sit and we stand and we give our offerings and all that. And this is a culture that we've created within the church. And you've got to look a certain way and talk a certain way and act, and you've got to be received and all this stuff before you really fit in. And have we created a culture to where we become more of a hindrance in that process of God drawing people closer to himself? Or are we making it easy for people to come during that process? Amen.
You know, something to think about. And hopefully this is the stuff that kind of really begins to stir you. And I want to share something with you today. I know when we've been at the, you know, ministering at Riverside, um, it's been a, a, a huge experience learning experience of dealing with a lot of brokenness and a lot of broken people. But it's been really cool to see how God is drawing that brokenness and those broken people to that campus. And there's stuff over there that I've learned that they don't teach you in preacher school. Amen, Pastor Horton, they don't teach you all that stuff. And you just got to rely on God. And you got to trust that God is working through you and that God is drawing people. And you got to be ready. And you want to be um, ready to receive those people and allow them to see Jesus in a greater light. About two and a half years ago, I, I met this guy, and I'm going to introduce you um, to you today. His name's Matt, and we do a lot of meals over there. So if you're hungry, you can come to our Riverside campus, and we'll feed you. Amen? Uh, every Wednesday night, we have a community meal, and it's open for anybody, and we have a lot of people. A couple weeks ago, we had 167 people come through our facility. That's a lot of people, um, if you've seen our building. And about 45 minutes, man, it's just like we just are crazy and just running people through there. But we do that because that's the need of the community. And we do that because we want to build relationships, and we want to get an opportunity to share what we so boldly believe. So about two years ago, my friend Matt came in there on a Wednesday night, and he came through there, and Matt was pretty broken. Matt was pretty messed up. Matt had probably one of the worst case of alcohol abuse I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen a lot of people struggle with that addiction. And Matt came in there, and he knew that we were doing this meal, and I think some family members had told him, he said, hey, if you go down to that church, they'll feed you and whatever, and Matt came in there, and I remember seeing him one Wednesday, but there was this one particular Wednesday where God just kind of and got my attention and said, hey, you need to go talk to this guy. I mean, so he came out. He tried to go on his bike. He tried to get away from me, but I'm faster than what I look. <laughs> so I had a chance to kind of catch Matt and start a conversation, man. And it wasn't too long where Matt was sharing truth and Matt was sharing his life with me. And the father was drawing him closer to him. And he shared about his addiction, and he shared about his state of hopelessness, and he shared all that with me, and he began to kind of break down. And Matt had a very bad case of like psoriasis and had some skin issues, and just physically was pretty bad off. The doctors actually told him, Matt, if you don't make some decisions, man, you, you probably are not going to be around very long. You're, you're, you're basically killing yourself through alcohol. And I told Matt, I looked Matt in the eye, I said, man, I know what it feels like to be trapped. I know what it feels like to be hopeless and feel like, man, you're kind of stuck and there's no hope. But guess what? I can tell you, you can change. God will help you. And I told him this simple question. I said, man, if we could get you some help, man, will you be willing to go through what we put before you and get the help that you needed? And I don't know if he was just trying to get me out of his face and he wanted to go do what he wanted to do. But he said, yes. I want to share this video with you real quick. Next week or two is going to be hard. So if you could just 
pray, pray, pray for me. Greg will be appreciated. Because I know I got, got him on my side now. I got a lot of people back there on my side. That was a video we took when we took Matt to Good Samaritan Hospital to start a, a recovery journey for him called Cadis. And uh, in that recovery process, they want you to go to a lo local hospital to start the actual detox because alcohol withdrawal is really the only uh, drug that you can die from as far as withdrawal. So I'm going to introduce my friend Matt Coville. Matt, why don't you come on up here? Matt, I don't know if this mic works or not, but we'll figure, we'll find one that works for us. Um, but Matt came in about, about two and a half years ago. Matt has uh, 20, how many months? 22 months. 22 months of sobriety underneath his belt. Yeah. And I just wanted to bring Matt in to kind of share with us just kind of how he felt as kind of a unchurched person of coming into a church and just some of the stereotypes because you know, unchurched people have stereotypes about church, just like church has stereotypes about unchurched folks. Amen. Uh, so I wanted Matt to kind of share a little bit of his heart and kind of that whole process. And one of the cool things is, and I want to share this story with you real quick. Matt came to the Riverside Church long before we went over there. About five years ago, Matt found his way into that church through somehow, some way. Matt had the thought of, hey, he didn't really know much about church, but he always thought church was a place that would help. Uh, so Matt's from our neighborhood out there, and Matt was going through the parking lot, and the side door was open. If you ever come to our Riverside campus throughout the week, if there's a car in the parking lot, people will come in there. It's a community church. People knocking on the door, and they just feel safe there. So Matt came into that uh, church long before we went over there and started the ministry, and they were in there. They must have been doing a Bible study or a prayer meeting. Matt came in there, and a lady that's still attending Riverside now told me when Matt started coming into the church and we started introducing Matt, that when Matt came into that day, and that was five years ago, that she had prayed for Matt every single day. That she had prayed for Matt, that, uh, you know, whatever the prayers were that she prayed, ever since that day that she met him five years ago. Church, God honors the prayers of the saints. Um, and God wants to do a work that we can't do, and he honors those prayers and those concerns and uh, so I'd ask Matt to just, just kind of share. I know when Matt first came into the church, there were some concerns. Matt, tell us a little bit about those very first couple of times when you came into the church. Like, what were you feeling and kind of what were your stereotypes that you were dealing with as far as church? Oh, I didn't think I would be accepted, for one. I mean, I'm not really, uh, per se, a church person that I was, you know, throughout the years, but I just thought you guys had your own little groups and, and, and I just figured I would come in being an outsider and he'd be talking about me in the corner, I'd look at him or, you know, what's he doing here and that's kinda how I took it when I first uh, 
first one in over there. Okay. Me and Matt talked several weeks ago about what we would talk about today. And Matt shared with me that, you know, when he was coming to the church, he felt that sense of being judged or not accepted. But he said he never felt that as he was walking into the bar. He said he never felt that when he was walking into a restaurant or any other place outside of the church. So I don't know if, you know, if the enemy plants that in the minds of people of, hey, they won't accept. Or have we really set that culture to where, you know, there is a hint of truth of being judgmental and not embracing and not accepting when that comes in. But Matt overcame that. What were some things that begin to kind of help you, I guess, put down your guard and kind of help you be a little bit more relaxed as you were going through that process? Well, Malachi, he uh, come up and talked to me. Seemed like uh, every time he'd see me, and started opening up. I kind of, kind of started feeling a little more. Uh, I guess, kind of to fit in because the people just started approaching me, and I wasn't, you know, the way I was and looked. I wasn't expecting people. You know, they used mm-hmm. to stay away, but. Yeah, they felt like they was actually genuinely concerned about what was going on. Yeah. One of the things we're very intentional at our Riverside campus is when we do our meals, we have table hosts. And basically the table host, what we want them to do is kind of actually serve the drinks. But we want them to get into the lives of people and hear their stories. And I guess this particular time when Malachi sat down and started kind of that, Matt started trusting. Matt started putting down his guard and started feeling a little bit more accepted within the life of the church so does that say something when new people come in maybe people are coming with those stereotypes and fears um, approach them talk to them and and I know some of you like to talk amen some of you like to talk and fellowship and all that good stuff that's a great ministry for you you know it doesn't have to be an organized thing you don't have to whatever join just as you see new people come in and maybe people are looking lost or maybe a little uneasy you approach them and kind of make them feel a little bit more at ease amen uh, so we started doing that, and Matt, what were some things? I know a lot of times that, uh, you know, within the church, there may not be a whole lot of level of trust within the church because, you know, some churches have maybe messed that up for us. Or even in society, we have a low level of trust for uh, a lot of organizations. But what are some things that started helping you build trust maybe in me or trust within the church to kind of let you be who you were and allow, allow God to do what he was doing? Well, would you... Uh offered me for help or some help like you just said i kind of thought you don't let matt fool you man he likes to talk i mean if you get him warmed up man we'll have to pull the mic from him so don't don't let him fool you that's a spiritual gift to talk and when you asked me though for help and i said yeah i just thought you was just mumbling you know just another preacher trying to make himself feel good or say hey i helped that guy out but Come to find out, he was right there with me through everything. I mean, the appointments, it was kind of like, he was like, I got you now, you ain't going nowhere type thing. Mm-hmm. And, but it, and then I just kind of think, I thought to myself, well, man, this, these, these people actually care about me and don't even know me for nothing. And that kind of opened me up to open up, if that made any sense, to mm-hmm. more so to you. You know, because you kind of, we kind of been through a lot of the things, I guess, together. So yeah, sure. it's kind of easier just to, to chat with you than say Bob over there in the corner, you know. It, it, but it made me feel a little bit more at ease the more I started coming in. But it was a rough, uh, yeah. rough couple of months. Um, 
that video that we showed, Matt was originally only supposed to go and be in the hospital for three days. Matt wound up spending 11 days um, at Good Samaritan, and nine of those days were in intensive care. It was very serious, and Matt was in a very serious spot as far as ma- actually making it out of the hospital. I remember going seeing him and uh, you know, just praying for him. And re- really, to be honest with you, I didn't know how things were going to turn out because he was just in that bad a state physically. Um, but one of the things, and church, we need to hear this, is when Matt came in, Matt, the father, was drawing Matt closer to us. It's one of those things, too, that, you know, I, I didn't say in this service, I forgot, but I said in the first service is, you know, a lot of times when we get saved or whatever, we get serious with God, we say, I found Jesus. Well, one church, Jesus was never lost. You know, we don't find Jesus, Jesus finds us, and he finds us through the Holy Spirit and through the individual and through the church, and that process works in incredible ways. But one of the things that I really believe that we need to listen to is one of the things when Matt came and I wanted to hear a story that I listened to his need. I listened to his need. And I didn't say, hey, Matt, I know what you need. You need to work in the kids ministry at Riverside Nazarene. That will fix you. No, he would probably still be drinking, to be honest with you, if he was working in the kids ministry at Riverside because that's a demanding ministry. But as we think about as people come in and God is drawing them closer to himself and the ministry of people, um, are we listening to their needs? And are we directing them and helping them with those needs? And Matt was right. It was a long process. And, man, we've had a lot of journeys together. And me and Matt's friends, man, we hang out a lot throughout the week. And I've seen Matt these last three months really kind of come alive. And he's really seeing God in a bigger scope of this whole journey. And uh, there was a story that I know Matt would love to share, but I'm going to share it for him because once he gets talking, he gets warmed up, man, we'll be here till 1 o'clock. Um, but Matt used to hang out down at one of the drive throughs down on Valley Street, down the street from our Riverside campus. And uh, his friend actually owned that drive through Not a very good friendship. You got somebody that deals, you know, struggles with alcohol, somebody owns a drive through I don't know how that works out, but that was a relationship he had. But Matt would go and he would hang out at this drive through and sometimes he would do work for this guy and this guy would get him some beer and whatever. But Matt said that one day he was sitting in, and this was when all this was process was happening. We hadn't got him in the cadence yet. He really hadn't really uh, walked through that process yet. But he said one day he was sitting out in the back of that drive through and just kind of just in a chair, just thinking about life. And he said, man, he just prayed to God. And he just said, hey, God, you know, and whatever form or fashion, man, that you ask God into your life at that point. And, uh, man, that was just the Father drawing Matt closer. And Matt began to recognize, and I believe that was the power of the Holy Spirit, that Matt was able to see, man, that he was in need of a Savior, that he was lost. And that he needed to confess and ask God to come in and do a work that, you know, I couldn't do and he couldn't do, but God had to do for him. And he worked through our lives. So Matt is a picture of what we call transforming grace. Amen. And I'm not saying Matt's got it all together, but Matt has come a long way in the last three months. I've just been so impressed with Matt. I see how opportunities have come up. And I told Matt he's got an incredible platform in our neighborhood over there. Everybody knows Matt. They knew Matt when he was riding a bicycle out there, falling, stumbling all over the place. And, man, he is sharing his story. He is sharing his story of how God draws you closer to him and how you can change and how you can beat the things that are beating your life. Amen. Uh, so thank you, Matt. Brother, we'll keep praying for you. And yeah.
uh, in hearing all that, I don't want you to think or say that, hey, Riverside's got it. We don't got it all together, friends. We just have learned some things, and this is what's working for us. And, you know, we've created a culture there to where, man, come as you are. Because I know the Father is drawing people. And I don't want to be a hindrance to that. And sometimes it wears me out. Sometimes it drains me. And sometimes you get upset and you see people make bad decisions. But that's part of the process of God drawing people closer to himself. Church and ministry of people. That's the most important ministry that you'll ever be a part of. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I feel like I'm the outsider looking in. I want to let you know that you belong. And God is drawing you here for a reason and for a purpose. And he desires to have such a crazy, incredible, real, real relationship with you today. Maybe you're a church folk and you've been here a long time and you say, hey, we have created a culture to where sometimes we make it hard for people to know him. And maybe you want to step out, maybe come out of your comfort zone, and maybe you want to help maybe change that culture. You know, whatever that looks like for you. You're saying, hey, next Sunday when I come in, I'm going to be a greeter. I'm not signing up, but I'm going to be a greeter. And everybody that comes through here gets a handshake, a hug, or a kiss. I don't know about the kissing, y'all. I'm going to be at Riverside next week, so y'all do what you want to do about the kissing thing. But I'm taking the initiative, and I want to change the culture of the church. And I want to give you an opportunity today as we get ready to prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's Supper or to the Lord's table. And will you stand with me as we get ready to do so? Now, what better way to be reminded of all that God wants for us as we think about Jesus' body broken and his blood shed for us? I know we do that every week at both of our campuses, but it's just a reminder to keep Jesus in front of us and knowing that, man, this is what it's all about. This is a sacrifice that was given to help those that are lost to be found. And it was a very high price that was paid. And today as we get ready to do that, and you know, it's an open table, and as you respond today, I want you to respond with being very sincere in your approach today. You know, to examine your life and examine your heart and say, hey, you know, am I where God wants me to be? Do I know him? Am I following him with passion and with a drive? And, you know, or maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't even know how I got here. Well, physically, you know how you got here. You drove or somebody picked you up. But guess what? I got to tell you today, the Father is drawing you closer to the Son. That's why you're here. And I want to give you opportunity today to respond to what God wants to do in your life and in your heart. Amen. So today, as we approach uh, and get ready to take these elements. I want you to do so with just reflection. Maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you're praying about something. Maybe there's something heavy in your heart. Maybe you're lost today and you say, hey, I want Jesus, man. I want Jesus in my heart and in my life. I mean, you just need to kind of just talk to God and just lay that on the line today. Will you do so today uh, with reverence and with respect?